Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. A few years ago, contemporary Christian artist Matthew West recorded a song called The Motions. And the words of that song kind of convey what many people sense in the world today. The chorus goes like this, I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without your all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything instead of going through the motions? These words very well could have been written about Israel in the time of Hosea. They were people guilty of going through the motions. They had uh, this idea of just being comfortable. And sin and, and corruption crept into the nation of Israel. And without them even noticing it, they became like the people around them. It was not something they chose to do. It's just something that happened in them. And if we are not careful, we can fall into the same trap that the people of Israel fell into. We too can be guilty of going through the motions. Now, I don't think it's something that just happens overnight. I don't think you one day get up and say, I think I'll just fake my Christian life today. Or, I think I'll go through the motions today. No, it happens over a period of time. And before long, before you realize it, you look more like the world than you do like Jesus. It just creeps into your life, and you find yourself, you're really going through religious ritual than really maintaining a dynamic, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at Hosea chapter 4. As we continue in our series through the book of Hosea, God's amazing love. And you're probably wondering, when are we going to get to the amazing love part? Well, we will. But before we get to God's amazing love, we've got to lay the foundation of exactly what's going on in the land of Israel and why God has to reveal His amazing love to them in so many different ways. Hosea chapter 4, we're going to look at these words this morning under the heading, Are We Going Through the Motions? Perhaps that's a challenging question for us to consider as we look at Hosea chapter 4. Are we going through the motions? We'll look at chapter 4, but we're only going to look at one verse. We're going to look at verse 1 of Hosea chapter 4 because verse 1 serves as an outline for the entire passage. Verse 1 describes the problem. The rest of chapter 4 illustrates the problem. So let's look at chapter 4, verse 1, and what Hosea says. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. From this, we can see three truths. First, we go through the motions by losing our faithfulness. We go through the motions by losing our faithfulness. When we talk about faithfulness in this passage, it's faithfulness has two sides, two sides of the same coin. First, it's talking about one's faithfulness to God. When God delivered the people of Israel from, the, from Egyptian bondage, He made a covenant with them. And He said, I, you will be my people, and I will be your God. 
And this was a covenant relationship that God entered into with the, the children of Israel. And when he entered into that covenant agreement, he gave them ten commandments. Yes, there were more than just the ten, but those ten commandments kind of serve as the hinge. And everything else radiates from those Ten Commandments. How do you love God? How do you love people? How do you relate to God? How do you relate to people? Everything else hinges on those Ten Commandments. Israel did not maintain their faithfulness to God's commandments. They did not maintain the, their faithfulness to God, and it's illustrated throughout chapter 4. You see, what was going on is that Israel had this way of worshiping God, but they saw the pagans worshiping God, and they said, man, that looks exciting. That looks fun. I'd like to be a part of that. I just got through reading a 10-part series of books on the, the founding of England in the, ten, in the ninth century A.D. And in the book, it talks about how, how the people from the, the pagan religions, when they die and, and go to their, their, their pagan uh, heaven, their pagan place, that they party, that, that they, have, they have great times, they eat, they drink, and even the people you kill party with you. But then they said, by contrast, that the way that the, the Christians painted their heaven, you all sit down and sing. That's all you do. He goes, who wants to go to that? You, you, you sing and, and you meditate. He goes, that doesn't sound like heaven. So, so they, were, they were trying to defend the, the, the land. They wanted to make it Christian. But the other people said, we don't want to be Christian because when we die, we want to have a good time. This is what was going on in the time. And you thought it just happened in biblical days, didn't you? This is what was going on. They, the, the, the people of home, people of Israel looked around and said, that looks exciting. Well, we want to have what they have. They saw a religion that had no rules and anything was allowed. It was appealing to, to, the, to the sensual appetite. It was appealing to that in people. And so because they, they begin to, to look at that other religion, they begin looking at what was going on around them, that they ceased to be faithful to the covenant of God. And then they took the, that next, next step in breaking the covenant that God had given. Look at verse 12 of the passage. He said, My people, they consult a wooden idol and are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. And what? They are unfaithful to their God. They are unfaithful to God. Why? Because they're seeking false religions. They're worshiping false gods. They've broken the covenant with me. They are unfaithful to me. Can I submit to you, not much has changed. Not much has changed in this world in, in which we live. Many people today are unfaithful in their dedication to God. We may be unfaithful in our dedication to God, and it begins in our worship of God. It all starts with the worship of God. And too many times our, 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 our congregations are empty of worshipers when the church rolls say they're full of worshipers. Now, which one is it? Are we full of worshipers or rolls full of worshipers? This is what you've got to begin to, to grasp with. And listen, it's not, just, uh, it's not just us. Southern Baptists run 16 million across the United States. But on any given Sunday, 5 million are worshiping. Does anybody see a problem here? Or is it just me? There's something going on when only 5 million of them are actually consistently worshiping on a Sunday. You see what happens, we begin to give up meeting together. 
we begin to, to take it for granted. Well, we're not being faithful in our worship. We're not being faithful in our attendance. And we begin straying away. The Bible says that we are saved to worship. We are saved to exalt Him. And you don't worship Him at the lake. You don't worship Him at the golf course. You don't worship Him at the ski resort. You don't worship, worship Him at the deer, at the deer uh, lease. Am I, I'm getting too personal, am I not? Listen, your priority is worship. Where everything else radiates from your worship of the Most High God. But, but we say we're, we can worship anywhere, any other activity. I do not believe. Now, I may, be, I may be wrong here, and that's okay. I do not believe you can worship God as well out there as you can here. There's something about gathering together with God's people in God's house, worshiping God, that provides enthusiasm that provides that, that experience that we so desperately need. But what do we do? We sit out one Sunday. Then we sit out another Sunday. And then we sit out another Sunday. And before long, there's a month of Sundays have gone by, and we didn't even know it. And we didn't even know it. What have we done? We've lost our faithfulness to the God that we say we worship. And we've given it up for what the world says. But not only does faithfulness affect their relationship with God, it's also their unfaithfulness is revealed in their relationship with others. Remember, the Ten Commandments just doesn't tell us how to relate to God. It also tells us how to relate to one another. How we are supposed to respond to one another. They said they are a people of God. This is what the people of Israel said. We are the people of God. We are the people of God. We are the children of Abraham. Well, we, are the, we are the chosen ones. But their actions revealed something different than what they said they believed. Look at verse 2. There's only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Does that sound like people that are being faithful to the covenant? Does that sound like people that are living up to the agreement that they had with God? This is probably where we struggle the most. This is probably where it gets, hits us. You see, we have a problem separating the things of the world with the things of God. In, in the name of tolerance, in the name of political correctness, well, we don't want to make waves. Uh, we, we don't want to come across as judgmental. We don't want to come across as bigoted. We want to come across as sexist or xenophobic or homophobic and whatever all those other things are, are that out there that happen. I don't even, I have to look about the dictionary to find out what they are. But they say, we don't, we don't want to come across that way. And so, so we, what do we do? We just begin adapting it to our lives. We just begin assimilating it into who we are as individuals. This is what takes place. You see, so much of the world has crept into our lives and into our churches that it's hard to tell us apart from the world. And people begin to look at that and they say, why should I go to church when the people of the church are no different than me? And you see when that happens? You see when that happens? We begin to lose our faithfulness to the people that we're supposed to do. Paul said it this way. He says, I am, a, I am in debt to Jew and the Gentile. I have an obligation to them. To do what? To share the gospel. I'm, 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 I'm in debtor 
to those? Are you in debt to those around you? Are you in debt to those that you have an obligation to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ? You see, we're supposed to be setting the example. We're supposed to be raising people to a higher standard. People are supposed to be looking at Christians. They're supposed to be looking at the church and saying, I want to emulate that. I want to live like they live, ultimately pointing them to God and to faithfulness in God. If our lives are characterized by actions and attitudes contrary to God's will, guess what? We do not have a right relationship with God. What we believe reveals itself by our actions. You could very well say, if I could be so bold, that our actions of faithfulness toward others is a barometer for our faithfulness to God. You see, it's easy to say, well, I'm faithful to God. That's in an abstract. But when all of a sudden you've got to reveal that faithfulness toward others, it becomes more concrete. And so we talk, 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 but we don't do, 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 do. We talk about our faithfulness, but it's not demonstrated. We are saved to be used by God to exalt Him and bring people into the kingdom. Israel failed. Israel failed. Second truth, we go through the motions by failing to love. Tied a little bit to the other one, but a little bit more extensive. Uh, you, you look at this verse, uh, word in verse 4, uh, verse 1, it talks about there's no love. This word love is a hard word to translate from, from the Hebrew because it's translated so many different ways. Uh, some of them translate it as, as love, as the NIV does. New American Standard translates it as kindness. Others translate it as mercy. I think the English Standard Version translates it as mercy. And some translate it as devotion. So which one is it? Is it love? Is it kindness? Is it mercy? Is it devotion? Perhaps the best explanation is a combination of all of them. Maybe that's the best combination. And I, I would say that it's love that reveals itself through acts of kindness. Love that reveals itself through acts of kindness. Instead of saying, I love you, you demonstrate it. Wives, you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. The husband says, you know, you never tell me you love me. I told you I loved you when I married you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. No, you want him to demonstrate that love, right? Yeah. Bring you a cup of coffee in bed. Well, I better watch out. I don't even do that to my wife, you know. My demonstration of love is I get my wife her second cup of coffee in the morning. Uh, is what I do. And she says, you don't love me anymore because you didn't get me. I said, I'll get it. I'll get it for you. The point is, you know what I'm talking about. Love demonstrates itself in the way we treat others. And perhaps this translation reveals the heart of the problem. If we consider the covenant relationship that Israel was to have with God and with others, they were straying away from God because they weren't revealing His love to others. They were called to be God's people. And because they were called to be God's people, they were supposed to point people to God. They were to show others how to live in a relationship with God, and they were to show others how to do that as well. But instead of being attractive to the, to the nations around them, it, they gave themselves into prostitution. They gave themselves away in adultery. They gave themselves away to drunkenness. They gave themselves away to gluttony. They, they were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles to bring people to the one true God. 
They were supposed to live that for the benefit of others. But instead, they began living for themselves, and there was no difference between the children of Israel and the people of the world. None whatsoever. So how do we apply this to today? Let's look at the words of Jesus. Jesus, several times throughout the Scriptures, and sometimes it's Jesus saying it, others are saying Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, and the second commandment is this, love your second, love your neighbor as yourself. He said, upon these two things hangs all the law, loving God and loving your neighbor. But in the context of this discussion, one lawyer, in order to justify himself, asked the question, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So Jesus begins to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. He begins telling the story of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of the story, Jesus asks the question, who was it that showed, who was it that demonstrated love? Who was it that did it? And he said, the one who showed mercy. Uh, who was the neighbor? He said, the one who showed mercy. And you know what Jesus says? Go and do likewise. You see, he's changed it, had he? He's changed it from theory to reality. He's changed it from the abstract to the concrete. He said, who's your neighbor? The one that you show mercy to. That's the, what you're supposed to do. Go out and show mercy. There's a corollary to this in Revelation chapter 2. You don't have to turn there, but Revelation chapter 2. Jesus comes and he speaks to the church at Ephesus. At the church of Ephesus, he talks about all the good things they're doing. Then he comes and says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Now we could debate what that is. Is that love of God? What's that? But he goes on and he says this. Listen. He says, Repent and do the things you did at first. Did you hear that? He said, you have forsaken your first love. The only way you're going to get about it is repent and do what you originally did. Do is an action verb. As he didn't say, and, and think the way you used to think. He said, no, do it. He said, you've abandoned your first love because you're not doing the things you should have been doing at the beginning. This is the indictment against the church at Ephesus. This is what was going on at those times, and those words reveal is something very important to us. It's one thing to talk about love. It's another thing to demonstrate love. When people are hurting in this world, the first place they ought to go is the church. When, when, when people are, are, are looking for kindness and people are looking for compassion, the first place they ought to go is the church. When, there's, when there is a need in the community, when there's a need in, in, in those around the church, the very first place they ought to go is to the church. And you know what we've done? We've relegated it to the government. It's not the government's job to take care of the needy. It's not the government's job to take care of the hungry. It's not the government's job to take care of the sick. It's not the government's job to take care of the, the homeless. It's the church's job. And I'm not getting political. I'm getting biblical. There's a difference. But what happens? 
we begin to focus on ourselves and we begin to focus on our own needs and our own comforts. And I know nobody in this congregation would ever say that. What's in it for me, preacher? How are you taking care of me? It's like you're rehearsing for an opera. Me, 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 me. Listen, folks, can, can I, I'm going to burst your bubble. It's not about you. It never was about you. It's about Him and His glory. That's what it's all about. We are happy in a congregation, aren't we? When we're taken care of. When we're taken care of and we're, we're okay, then we're happy. The question is, is Jesus happy when we do that? You know, in the best of that passage of Revelation, Jesus says, if you don't change your ways, I'm going to come and take your lamp away. You know what he means? I'm going to come and take away your witness. He says, you will no longer be effective. I wonder where the church of Ephesus is today. It's not there. Oh, there's some ruins. You know what? We have lots of ruins of churches in Waco today. Did you know that? I was driving by, I think, uh, I think we were driving by Tuesday at the men's breakfast, uh, men's lunch, and we kind of got sidetracked and was taking some of the scenic route uh, of Waco, and we just been church, 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 church on every corner, uh, sometimes four on every corner, you know, and, you know, you think with all the churches in the city, they'll be making an impact in the community, wouldn't you? Nah, it's just a place for us to gather and feel good about ourselves but not to be a light to the Gentiles, not to be a light to those who are perishing. But I'm meddling in your lives, and I would never want to do that. But the point is, in that book of Revelation, he says, if you don't change your ways, you're no longer going to be effective. You're not going to be effective. The people of Israel allowed this to happen to them. The Jews in the New Testament allowed them, allowed it to happen to them. They got caught up in ritual. Uh, they got caught up in religion. And as a result, they never impacted the life of anyone. As a matter of fact, Jesus comments about this in Matthew chapter 23 and, and when he gives out the seven great woes. And he says this in verse 15 of Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. He's announcing that to the religious establishment. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll fall in the same trap that Israel did and that the Jews of the New Testament did, and we'll fall into it today. Every, just a, just a few weeks ago, I put something in the, in the newsletter. Uh, you probably... It, probably blew your brain. You probably, I don't know what he's trying to say. The point of the article was that every generation after the baby boomer, we become less and less Christian. Who do we blame it on, folks? Well, they just don't understand. I said, no, we're not communicating to them. We're not demonstrating it to them. If we don't change our ways, the church, God says, I'm going to take away your lamp. 
I'm going to take away your lamp. Last truth, we go through the motions by lacking knowledge of God. Look at verse 2 again. Hosea says there's no acknowledgement of God in the land. He says the same thing down in verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. I think here we come to the problem. Here we really reveal the heart of the situation. The people had lost their knowledge of God. They did not know God. They didn't really understand God. Uh, they had no knowledge of God, and because they had no knowledge of God, they just began to blend in. They just began to accept everything else going on around them. Yeah, you know, why would they commit adultery? Why would they choose prostitution? Well, why would they choose the drunkenness? Why would they choose all these things? You want me to tell you why? Everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is doing it, and we want to blend in. We want to look like them. That was the cultural norm of the day. How do we get knowledge of God? Can I just tell you how you don't get knowledge of God? You don't get knowledge of God by going out and sitting underneath the tree and communing with nature. You don't get knowledge of God by going out and sitting up and gazing at the stars in the sky and, and, and looking at the vastness of this universe. You get knowledge of God by studying God's Word. God's Word reveals God. It reveals Jesus. Matter of fact, we could be so bold that everything points to Jesus. But it reveals God. And you get that by sitting down and studying God's Word. Yes, independently, but more importantly, and you hear me on this, you get it when you sit under the tutelage of other people and you learn together. Iron sharpens iron. And you learn together and you study God's Word and, and you're studying it for impact in your life. How is this that I'm studying and changing my life to make me more like Jesus so that then I could radiate His presence in the world that desperately needs Jesus? You study God's Word in a way for life transformation. Life transformation. You're spending time in His Word, and you do that by being in a place where His Word is taught, where His Word is, is lived out, where you can learn and you can ask questions and you can be challenged. That was part of the problem in the land of Israel. They weren't getting good study. They weren't getting, uh, the priests weren't taking their responsibility seriously. And perhaps that's part of the problems today. Perhaps the problem today is that preachers and teachers just aren't doing it right. I point to myself. Now, maybe we're just not communicating in an effective way. How many times do people say, say, well, oh, preacher, I didn't know you were preaching. I thought you were just talking. I didn't know that applied to me. And maybe, maybe we as preachers aren't doing a good job. Well, look, you can find them on TV. You know, those guys that, that will satisfy your itching ears. If you see those people, turn them off. Turn them off. They're not preaching God's Word. They're preaching what makes you happy. God's Word is not supposed to make you happy. It's supposed to challenge you to be all that you can be in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean you can't be happy in doing that. But you should never be happy in your sin. And if God's Word's not confronting you in your sin, then it's not doing its job. It's not doing its job. Augustine said it this way years ago. He said, if there's not understanding of what was communicated, have we truly communicated the truth? 
In other words, if you don't understand what I'm communicating to you, then maybe I haven't communicated to you effectively. Without understanding, there's no knowledge. But we can be hard on preachers. It's easy to be hard on preachers because we're the guys up there that, you know, making all the big bucks. <laughs> you know, uh, they're the ones up there on the stage. They're the ones that get all the publicity. It's easy to be critical of them. But let me, let me can I flip the coin just a little bit and change it? Perhaps the problem's not in the preachers. Perhaps the problem's not in the teachers. Maybe our churches are full of preachers and teachers that are preaching the truth and teaching the truth, but it's full of congregations that aren't listening to the truth. Maybe that's where the problem comes in. You know what it is. Oh, preacher, that was a great sermon. It's too bad the people that needed to hear it weren't here. But I'm... You know I'm speaking the truth. Perhaps that's the greater problem. Our churches are full of preachers and teachers, but they're not full of people wanting to hear the Word of God. Or if they hear it, they do not apply it to their lives. You know what happens when we do that? Going through the motions. Just going through the motion. That's okay. It's okay. But you can come back next Sunday and do it all again. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to go through the motions. I don't want to go one more day without God's all-consuming passion inside of me. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything? What if I'd given everything instead of going through the motions? It is my prayer. It is my prayer for this body of believers that we will not be guilty of going through the motions. That this pastor won't be guilty of going through the motions. That the staff won't be guilty of going through the motions. You know what I mean by that? It's just a job. It's just a job. And at the end of the day, we go home and come back and do it all over again the next day. I don't want it to be the same way for you or for the staff, for my deacons, my Sunday school teachers, for any of us. It's my prayer that we won't lose our faithfulness, that we won't fail to love, and that we will maintain our knowledge of God so that we too will not go through the motions. We're going to have a time of invitation, a time for you to respond to what you heard I'm not going to tell you how to respond. Really, to me, the response is how you apply this outside the walls. Really, that, that's, you know, this is just a formality that we go through. And everybody, oh, yeah, that's so nice. But really, what it really makes is life transformation outside these walls. That's really where it counts. So my, my, my invitation, God's invitation to you is to listen to the words, apply them to your life, and then go and do likewise. As Jesus told the people in his story. Would you stand with me as I lead us in a time of prayer? Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here today to worship, to pray, to give our tithes, to give our offerings. 
Father, hopefully to be challenged by your word. Father, I pray that you would touch our hearts, communicate to us, God, our need for a deeper relationship with you. Father, our need to be more faithful to you and toward others. Father, help us to truly love as Christ loves us. We love our friends. We love our neighbors. We love our enemies. Father, we pray for those who persecute us. Father, we love as you chose to love us. And Father, we will take the knowledge that we gain from your word. And God, it truly will transform our lives. So we can be more like Jesus. This is our prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.